Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the Reimagined Schools podcast. I'm your host, Greg Goins. It's great to be with you once again as I'm on the road to 100 episodes. In this episode, episode number 90, I'm pleased to welcome in Dr. Katie Martin. Katie is the author of two great books, Evolving Education, Shifting to a Learner-Centered Paradigm, and Learner-Centered Innovation, Spark Curiosity, Ignite Passion, and Unleash Genius. Katie has worked with many school districts here in Kentucky. This was such a great conversation as we talked about the changing role of the classroom teacher, how to empower students to take control of their own learning, and how school districts can move beyond the portrait of a graduate and take the next big step forward to provide kids with essential skills for future success. Don't forget that you can now support the Reimagined Schools podcast with my Buy Me a Coffee link, a space to leave comments about your favorite guests and episodes. You can find the link at buymeacoffee.com slash Dr. Greg Goins in the show notes and also in my Twitter bio at Dr. Greg Goins. Who knows, you might just find yourself getting a shout out on a future episode. So let's get right to it, folks. My conversation with Dr. Katie Martin begins right after this quick promo from the Education Podcast Network. I'm Andrew Murata, host of the Education Leadership and Beyond podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you are listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the Reimagined Schools podcast. Have another great episode coming at you today with Dr. Katie Martin. Katie, thanks so much for being with us. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm a big fan of your work. Uh, you know, we have some mutual friends along the Twitter uh, train, uh, people like Tom Murray, who I know well, and I know you know well as, uh, as well. Great guy. Uh, you know, you have two wonderful books out. Uh, the first coming out in 2018, uh, Learner-Centered Innovation, Spark Curiosity, Ignite Passion, and Unleash Genius. And then your most recent offering is in 2021, Evolving Education, Shifting to a Learner-Centered Paradigm. So uh, maybe just tell our listeners a little bit about, you know, what was the goal in writing those two books and, and kind of how that evolution from idea to, you know, seeing those books now on Amazon has to be a, a thrilling experience. Oh, it is, it is crazy. Uh, so, I will start by saying in, in terms of the evolution to writing a book, I was not one who ever expected to be writing a book. I didn't even read books in high school because I was kind of a disengaged student in many ways. And um, when I had the opportunity, I spent about five years at the University of San Diego, and I had the opportunity to work with some amazing districts who were thinking about um, leveraging technology. And in 2012, 13, the question was, how do I, you know, we just went one-to-one, -one, now what do we do? And, um, you know, that was what a lot of these um, front-running districts were asking. And I was working with a lot of our partners to really think about how to reimagine the learning experience rather than just focus on the technology. And so Learner-Centered Innovation, my first book, is really a broader vision of what's possible in school inspired by what I was seeing in so many classrooms as I visited and got to work with teachers. And, um, and then as a mom, it's inspired by what I want for my young children. It was really before they entered school early on. And, um, and so it was kind of my aspirational vision. 
And learners, uh, and then when after I wrote it and had a lot of um, feedback, people were like, I'm so inspired. I love this. But now, like, what specific strategies do I use? And so evolving education was meant to be much more practical in nature to really think about how do we recreate, redefine success with learners? How do we think differently about our outcomes? What experiences do we want to create for young people with strategies and resources aligned? And then some ideas for how to create the enabling conditions and, um, and shift to a learner-centered paradigm. So that was my hope that it would be much more um, practical uh, and so far, I'm seeing some good good feedback that, that that's been the case, in fact. You know, I've had the chance to listen to you speak before. I, you know, obviously listen to podcasts you've been on. And I'm always fascinated by this idea. You call yourself a disengaged learner as a child. And mm -hmm. I, I, in doing research for our conversation today, um, you know, I know the experience you had in third grade as a frustrated reader really kind of shaped your path to where you are today. And that's amazing to me. You think about that journey from a little girl in San Diego, you know, trying to read with the rest of her classmates to really going through that experience to where you are today. So uh, can you just kind of share that story a little bit? Sure. I think what you're referring to is when I gave my um, TEDx talk, I shared that uh, my third grade teacher made our whole class read The Mouse and the Motorcycle. And it made me hate the mouse, mouse and the motorcycle because I wanted to read things that I was interested in. And just the fact that the teacher said, everyone has to read it. We had to go home, read a chapter, come back, answer a multiple choice question, set of multiple choice questions to prove that we had in fact read the book. And I just, it felt like such a silly game to me that we were playing to make sure we were reading what the teacher wanted us to read. I always thought, why can't I read what I want to read? Why can't I read things that I'm interested in reading? And unfortunately, that pattern continued in almost every class every year. Here's the book. Here are the questions. Prove you read it. And I found I was much more efficient just figuring out how to answer the questions. I actually got the similar answers. I, you know, had B's in school and it was fine. And um and I just, I was so turned off to reading. I actually um, didn't pick up a book really, truly until I was in college and my professors gave me the opportunity to read um, things that I was interested in, have meaningful conversations. And it was much more fun and inspiring. And you know, I'm, we always talk about this game of school and some of the challenges that we still face in classrooms. I, I'm not a big storyteller, but I, just real quickly, I'll share this with you. Uh, over Christmas break this last year, uh, had a chance for extended family to get together for the first time in a while because of COVID. And I, and I saw some family from pretty long distance away out West, closer to where you're at, that mm -hmm. had a chance to come visit with us. And they, uh, there was a little girl there who's in third grade. And so I sat down with her. And anytime I talk with kids, I always ask them, you know, about their school experience. Do they like their teacher? You know, what are they having fun doing? And so we kind of went through that conversation. And then I always kind of follow up with, well, is there anything that you don't like? Or is there anything about your teacher that you wish was different? Just because that's my field and I'm interested. And, and she looks at me and she says, well, I'm not very good at math. And I thought, uh oh, here we go. Because we all know that math, as it gets more challenging, the higher the grade level, sometimes frustration kicks in. And so I said, okay, well, tell me, why do you think you're not good at math? 
And she looked at me, and again, third grader, and you know, very well spoken for her age, really strong communicator. She says, "Well, I'm not fast enough." And I thought, "What do you mean you're not fast enough?" She said, "Well, we take tests, and they time us, and I'm never fast enough, and it makes me nervous every time I go to school that I'm going to have to take these tests." And right there, Katie, that's what we do to kids. That is that is so true, Greg. And I see so many people. My own son had similar experience, and. We also, when kids are fast, they think that they're good at solving problems or good at math because they can do it quickly when we're not honoring the process. And, and this young girl that you're speaking about, it's the anxiety, it's the, the context. Um, and we, we teach kids, there's one way to be smart. You have to read this book and answer the questions. You have to do the time test fast. You have to you know, write your papers in this certain way and hedge your, pa- hedge your paper the way that the teacher wants it. And teaching them to play the game of school doesn't necessarily teach them how to develop the competencies or navigate their own path toward success that might be broader than what we value in school. And, you know, I think you and I also are, are aligned very much in, in what we believe as we think about reimagining school. And I, I love the title of your book, the concept, Learner-Centered. I've been using the term student-centered for quite some time now, talking about student-powered schools and what that should look like. And the example that I always give is if you walk into any classroom and you close your eyes, you know, what voice is it that you hear the most or the loudest? Is it the teacher's voice or is it the voice of, of the students? Yeah. And so I, I don't want to redefine learner-centered for you, but is that a, a pretty close parallel to what you're talking about? Yeah, the reason I use learner-centered um, is a variety of reasons, but one, which you just said, student-centered, you want to hear the voices of students, I could not agree more, and I believe very strongly that if we are going to create school systems where young people are empowered, their teachers also need to see themselves as learners. So do the administrators, so do the community members. And I believe that to shift to this paradigm is gonna take all of us being learners and evolving in our practices. And so, so often we have these graduate profiles or different ways that we talk about what students should do. But when I look at these curious, empathetic, problem solvers, innovators, all of these things we say we want young people to do, I can't see a world where the educators and the administrators aren't also demonstrating those competencies. And so I'd like to reframe the system of those outcomes are for all of us. We're all learners toward that system, but we have different different roles and different ways that those, those outcomes show up based on if we're a student or if we're an educator in the system. And, you know, we're just kind of coming out of COVID and things are starting to return to pre-COVID levels in schools, finally, and, and we hope that it stays that way. But I, I think, you know, what happened with COVID is it really shined a light on a lot of the issues that that we really weren't prepared to deal with pre-COVID. And my hope is that a lot of districts aren't hoping to go back to the old ways of doing things to kind of make the status quo better. I think this is an opportunity to really redefine what schools look like. Uh, and and the, one, the one thing that really jumps off the page at me is this idea that I think the biggest discovery in my mind is, is we learn that kids are not self-directed learners, that they're so dependent on teachers to take them from A to Z as teachers. And I've heard you say this before, teachers really drag them to the finish line from start to finish. Mm -hmm. But now we really need to rethink how kids can take more ownership of their learning. And so that's kind of the next P 
piece to this, and I want to get your thoughts. Who owns the learning, and how do we get to that point where kids take more responsibility for what they learn and how they learn? Yeah, I mean, whoever owns the learning, whoever is doing the work is going to be the one who is going to do the learning, right? So if the teacher is the one up all night preparing the lessons, going through videos, really understanding the information to give this lecture so students can absorb it, of course the teacher is going to learn more, right? So if we're shifting that, and it's not saying that the teacher is not, does not have tremendous knowledge and skills, but we want the young people to be the ones to do the research, investigate, formulate um, thoughtful opinions and messages, um, we have to create space for that. And there are many bright spots where that was happening in really powerful ways. But um, there's a great report that NGLC just came out with prepared, and they talked about systems that fared well throughout COVID because they were set up with trust, they were set up with connectivity, they had resources, and ultimately they were designed for learner agency, um, where learners were expected and had opportunities to make choices and we're doing projects and things that were authentic and meaningful. So we, when we see, they kind of jumped ahead, right? But then there are some who were not yet prepared for that and we're trying to recreate a very traditional compliance-driven system online or with limited time. And then all of a sudden they're saying, well, this isn't working, people are frustrated. I say, yeah, there is a lot, a lot of frustration and a lot of apathy in certain places because young people are saying, I am not going to do this anymore. This work that doesn't have value or meaning to me, I am not going to just do it because I'm told to. And we have to say, I was talking to, um, I think it was Katie Novak, um, and she was talking about adults are doing the same thing. Adults are reevaluating what they choose to do and um, how much effort they're putting in um, based on how much meaning and value it has to them also. So we can't just place it on students that they're being apathetic. It's it's really a reevaluation re of our priorities um, in a lot of ways. And you know, I think another area in which you and I are closely aligned is this idea that there's this big shift in the role of the teacher. Mm -hmm. And so if you go back to the traditional model, the teacher was the smartest person in the room, probably still is, but they were the one with all the information. Mm -hmm. And now information is a commodity. It's that, you know, you have 25 kids staring back at you with Chromebooks or iPads. They have information at their fingertips. And I always, I always tell people, especially pre-service teachers, you know, if, if a student can quickly Google or ask Siri the answer to your question, it probably wasn't a very good question to start with. So as you think about the changing role of the teacher, um, what does that look like in your mind? I think one, it just is a shifting of the mindset that my value is that I am going to tell you everything I know. I'm going to move you all along at one pace and you are going to share back what you know in a test, right? Like that for many people is a model of success and what it means um, to be a teacher. So it's shifting that mindset to really thinking about how we can activate young people. We need to know who they are. We need to help them know themselves. We need to be able to connect with them, but also connect them with their peers, um, information online, great examples and models in the community, 
podcasts, resources. We want to be connecting young people and helping them find the resources to answer their questions, to solve problems. And, and that means the teachers are setting up the context. They're setting up the inquiry. They're, um, they're pushing young people beyond what they're comfortable with and doing what great coaches do, setting the bar high and helping them to achieve those expectations, not doing the work for them, not dragging them along, along the finish line. Um, and many people will say, well, my kids won't do it. And if we're operating in an old paradigm where we're not honoring who they are, not honoring their strengths, and we're still saying, okay, go figure it out on your own, we're, we're actually not setting up the context and learners aren't, um, they don't have the resources, they don't have the motivation to kind of just figure it out. So it does require teachers who are skilled at, um, at really connecting young people and, and connecting them with those um, next steps. You know, Vygotsky's zone of proximal development, <laughs> really knowing where they are and stretching them to that next level. You know, I really love this idea of teacher as a coach. You know, mm -hmm. I, I was a classroom teacher myself. I also coached throughout my career early on. And I always felt like as a basketball coach, the gymnasium was my classroom. Mm -hmm. And so I was going to teach them specific skills, team building, whatever the case may be. So this, this coach approach, I think, and you're seeing that more and more with instructional coaches. Uh, you know, here in Kentucky, we're getting ready to release grant funding so districts can hire deeper learning coaches, which yeah. is a novel idea that I love. I but do too. I, I heard you, uh, actually, I watched online recently a webinar that you gave, and you identified the evolving role of the teacher. And, and among that group of competencies was to be a co-designer of powerful learning, mm -hmm. a connector, a partner in learning, and an activator. So I love this idea of teacher as a co-designer. Teachers have to design lessons and they have to design opportunities for, for kids to find that curiosity and that passion that you talk you know, so passionately about. Yeah, and I think that one thing I wanna make clear is that a lot of people say, okay, that sounds great. You just want kids to do whatever they want, <laughs> right? Like you're just gonna you know, let, set them free and agency means that you just do whatever you want. And that's not at all what I'm saying. As educators, we have clear goals that we are held accountable to, right? In, in, as school leaders, same thing. So what I'm saying is be really clear about those goals that we're trying to achieve, those competencies that we want young people to be able to demonstrate proficiency in, um, and then be a little bit more nimble in the path. That's where we're giving choice. Do you wanna watch a podcast or do you want to read an article? I mean, there is a very simple choice and then you might stretch it to two or three options. Um, you might say, you know, you read this article. Do you want to demonstrate your knowledge by doing a podcast? Do you want to put a slide deck together? Do you want to teach somebody else? Again, there's multiple ways of demonstrating what you know and can do. And that's where we start to see agency. It's not okay, do whatever you want and show me what you know, that is overwhelming and that's not necessarily helping us get to those clear outcomes. Uh, and so those are the things that I think um, will help us being clear in terms of how to activate students and how to, um, how to create classrooms that are actually honoring students, but helping them develop the skills that really matter most. You know, um, 
my mission and really in doing the podcast is to help teachers have a better understanding of and, and school leaders for that matter, uh, you know, try to figure out what it means to reimagine schools. And, and I feel like we're to the point where we throw so much at them. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we talk about project based learning. We talk about inquiry. We talk about passion projects and deeper learning continues to build momentum. And, you know, you, you can't just watch a 15 minute YouTube video on deeper learning and take that in your classroom and find success. You actually have to roll up your sleeves, go in there and try some things yeah. and you're going to fail. And, and when you fail, that's when you actually get better and improve. But taking those risks is so scary. And, you know, some of the, the conversations that I have with teachers and educators in general about deeper learning is I really get that that deer and headlight look about what does that even mean? So how can we do a better job of explaining what teachers need to do differently? I'm going to give you a a multi-part answer. So I strongly believe that teachers create what they experience. And what I mean by that is if we pull teachers up, set them in an auditorium and tell them to do things differently and tell them to provide choice to learners and navigate different paths, and they're all sitting there listening to us, we can't expect them to go to their classrooms and doing anything differently than we are, than we are doing in our own professional learning. So we need to create opportunities for educators to start finding the problems in their own classrooms and practice, delving into the research themselves, looking at examples, thinking about um, their own practice. So one, we got to, that's like a start is we need to model the type of learning that we want teachers to experience. And then part of that is I always ask um, educators to think about their own significant learning experiences. And when they think about their own learning, we come up with um, things that are like, I have purpose, I have agency, there's collaboration, there's critique and feedback, there's productive struggle, there's, you know, there's goals and accountability and reflection. And when we think about the commonalities in those experiences, then we can start help, helping teachers think about how to plan for those in their own classrooms. Um, but I, like you said, you have to try something. You have to take one little nugget, try it out, reflect. And that's why I love coaches. If you have, you know, like instructional coaches, the deeper learning coaches, that can be so powerful to have someone there watch you to that you trust, to get feedback, to help you think about your next steps, because it can be lonely to try this work alone. So I always encourage people work with a team, work with, you know, at least a coach, someone who you can bounce ideas off of. And then the final part of that is you said people are afraid. And I often hear people are afraid to fail, right? What if my lesson doesn't go right? What if I screw it up? I've, you know, I've let the kids down. And I think we need to reframe that idea of failing being a lesson plan didn't go well, or kids were kind of out of control and it didn't really hit the mark to if we don't change, if we don't reimagine the way that we school young people right now, then we are going to continue to have students who are ill-prepared for the workforce, for their lives post, um, you know, post K-12 that aren't ready to navigate college, or the workforce on their own and continue to have people who are not engaged and passionate about the work that they do, which is really a sad thing for all of us. Yeah. And I think that's well said. And, you know, one of the uh, things that I recently read that, that you had written is about 
uh, I don't even know where it was at. It was online, but it was about uh, going beyond portrait of a graduate mm-hmm. and how, you know, that's a, that's a wonderful place to start. But I'm hearing more and more about school districts that are wanting to dive into portrait of a teacher. Yeah. And then I can even think about taking that a step further. What about portrait of a principal or portrait of a parent? Or maybe we have a portrait of a mascot and we design all these portraits and put them under one big picture. Yeah. So if to get everyone involved, uh, you know, to kind of think about, you know, what does the community believe the purpose of school should be? Yeah. Um, you know, when you wrote that article, what was kind of your mindset around that? Very similar to that. And I think the nuance is, like you said, are we student-centered or learner-centered? This is exactly why I say learner-centered. And Logan County in Kentucky is a great example. They have created a profile of success. And in that is the desired outcomes, yes, for young people, but educators and administrators also are using that to look at those skills that are necessary across the continuum K-12, but also what do they need to do as educators and administrators to also develop those competencies. And so again, you can look at collaborator, global citizen, innovator, all of those are not just things we want for young people. All, you know, administrators and educators should be looking at those things as well. Um, And however you do it, I do think it is important to be really clear about what do we want as the end outcome? What is the purpose of school? What are we trying to do here? And backwards map from that, as opposed to how we've done most recently, here's our standardized test scores. That's our end goal. And we're really narrowly defining success um, and working towards that. That is a short-sighted goal and not going to get us to the outcomes that many of our visions and mission statements um, aspire to. Well, congratulations on both books and all the success you've had. You want to follow Dr. Katie Martin at katiemartin.edu. Go to the website, katiemartin.com. She does a lot of consulting. So if a school district contacts you, what kind of walk us through that process? What, you know, what's that conversation like? And what can you come in and help districts with? Oh, so um, at the Learner Centered Collaborative, we have over 150 partnerships with 30 states. Kentucky is one of them. Uh, and we provide a variety of services, but the big one, like we just talked about, we can help with a profile of success or a learner profile to really clearly identify those outcomes. And that is just a starting point. That's the North star, but we're really interested on helping, um, create the resources and a learning model, align the systems to support that, um, that learning model. The big piece has been really working with people to identify. So if we want new outcomes, what does learning look like in our system? Creating that framework to be really clear about what those learner-centered experiences are, and then providing the support and resources for the system, administrators, and educators to make those shifts in their classrooms. We have um, pathways for educators to to go through, like I mentioned, those experiences. They can experience learning in new and different ways that we um, help them translate to their own classrooms. Well, as always, a great conversation. Again, I'm a big fan. And folks, you want to follow Katie, you want to check out all her work and buy the two books. I I think I just saw on Amazon where you can get them on, on Kindle for less than $10, which is insane. I mean, that's the deal of the century right there. So go buy both of them if you get a chance. So thanks, Katie, for being here. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Greg. It was my pleasure.
So that's a wrap on this episode of the Reimagined Schools podcast. Once again, a big thank you goes out to Dr. Katie Martin for a great conversation on how we can create learner-centered schools. Be sure to buy the book and give Katie a follow on Twitter at KatieMartinEDU. As always, I want to thank everyone for tuning in. I hope you can like, share, and subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And until next time, thanks for joining the conversation and keep fighting for change in your school.